Welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers, giving you the motivation and inspiration you need to make the most of your later years. Whether you're still in the planning stages or you're several years in, we'll share stories from boomers who refuse to act their age and continue to live a life inspired. Let them show you how being old can be new if you know what to do with your host, Terry Lorbeer. Hello and welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is the Kentucky guy. He is the creator and host of two podcasts, the Red Pill Current News Podcast and Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. He is also an author as well as a freelancer. As a freelancer, he does voiceovers, life coaching, and interview coaching. He has over 20 years of experience and a vast number of hours of training in these core areas. Welcome, Kentucky guy. How are you today? Hey, thank you so much for having me, Terry. Uh, doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing great, too. It's a wonderful day. We're both alive and we're kicking. You know, that's imp- as a boomer, that's important. So we're doing fine. So Absolutely. you you come from a very entrepreneurial family. So tell us your story and how they influence you to just be you're more entrepreneurial. You don't like working for other people. So tell us your story. Sure. Uh, so before I get started in the story, uh, my father one of his sayings that he's always told us kids and there's six of us, you never get anywhere working for the other man. And I have heard that since I was probably five years old. So that's always been instilled. However, you know, early in life, my father, of course, he worked for the private sector. Uh, He worked for factories and things of that nature, but he always had this desire to run his own business ever since his great grandfather at a little country store in Eastern Kentucky. Mm. He always had a mind for business. Here's the thing. In the 50s, things got really bad in the area that he lived in uh, as far as job-wise. So him and my mom, uh, his new bride, they took off and they moved to Detroit, Michigan, like many, so many others did during that time, to find work. Right. He got, got a job in a factory, uh, automobile, a Ford plant. Uh, where he worked for, I think, 10 years. And he did well. He did well there. The only thing is, is he started his family. And they right away had five five kids. It's <laughs> a lot little. to take care of. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, so all little, all in diapers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, it seemed like he couldn't keep up. Uh, and, you know, he he still had that desire. And he would do... He had like a, and I just found this out not that long ago. He had like a newspaper route uh, that he would do at night before he went into work at the factory and what have you. So he's always doing something on his own, trading, you know, uh, guns or knives or or what have you. Uh, He took in borders uh, when money got tight. A lot of people did that back then. I remember my neighbor took in borders. Yep. Yeah. So he was, he was always kind of a business owner, entrepreneur mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up. So anyways, uh, back in Detroit, things got really bad in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s with the riots and everything. So he felt he needed to get his family out of there. So they moved to Ohio uh, where it seemed to be peaceful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they went there and 
13 years after they had their last child, my brother, uh, surprise, here comes another one. Oh, here, no. <laughs> the only one that's born in Ohio, right? Uh-huh. He's like, this is, this is enough. He's like, you know, most of, everybody's married pretty much before I'm born. Mm -hmm. uh, they all got young and, and what have you. So he decides to take this chance and this, and I tell this story because this is something that anytime you're in business for yourself, no matter what you're doing, if you sell hot dogs beside the road, you've got to have some type of motivation because you're going to have bad days. You're going to have bad weeks. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very easy to become, it's easier to become negative than positive. So you need something there to motivate you. And that's why I use this story all the time. So he takes a chance on himself. A lot of people don't know this, but my dad only went to third grade. Mm. Uh, he cannot read or write just his own name. That's it. Doesn't know his ABCs or anything. Imagine if he did have an education once I get done with the story. Uh, so anyways, he takes a chance on himself. He buys this old truck, a flatbed truck. And, and I am four years old, right? Oh, when all this is hmm. builds a box around it. And he decides to go into a trash collection company, which is he got the idea from his brother, his older brother or his younger brother who tried it and failed. And dad could see the, he didn't work hard enough is what he told me. His brother did not work hard enough to make it successful. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so he starts out that way, and I remember so many stories of him. He would disappear all night long, and he'd just be working. He'd be putting flyers in people's mailboxes. He'd be uh, uh, hand to mouth. He'd be out working by himself. He couldn't afford to hire anybody at that time. Right. You know, the tr truck was worth 300 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so he was in this business for about 15 years, and when he sold out, we sold out, actually. I decided to go to college down here uh, in Kentucky, where I'm in now. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, it's not like I just decided out of the blue. Uh, this is where they were raised. So I was down here every summer anyways. And I just fell. Yeah. So anyways, I decided to go to college down here. And he's not. him and mom are not going to let me come down here by myself. So <laughs> it's time to go back home. So he immediately sells his business. When he sells his business, he sells it to a little company called Waste Management. Some of you all might have heard of them. Yep. Yep. And when he sells, he has six garbage trucks. Three of them are brand new. Wow. He also has He also has one of those big roll-off trucks that people haul cars on and so forth. They do it with big. He, <laughs> he has hundreds of commercial stops. This is like restaurants, banks where they have dumpsters in and you know, these are hundred dollars, $200 a month each right. coming in. And he has thousands, thousands of residential homes. When he sells out, he started out with two homes and a pickup truck, a $300 truck with a box built around it. Wow. And if you ask him right now, he's still living. I still have him with me. He's 86 years old. He'll mm. actually turn, he'll turn 87 in two days. If you ask him, how did he get so successful? The first thing he does is give everything, all the credit to God. Mm -hmm. Credit to him. The second thing is he goes, I stick with it. I stuck with it. And he goes, there was times I wanted to quit. It had been a lot easier, especially when one of you uh, got sick. One of the little ones got sick. Because 
he didn't have insurance. He gave up. He gave up a fantastic job. Right. To, and he actually would have had plenty of money to do it if he'd have just had maybe one or two kids. <laughs> so, yes, right. <laughs> uh, hey, you know, I'm back- one of eleven, and my father worked for the city of Philadelphia, so not a lot of money either. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just I, I often wonder where he would have been uh, if he would have had the education and some chances that we've seen, you know, people have and actually blow, including right. myself. Right. So that so that's how I was raised, and, and that's the story. Now, my brother, uh, he has his own dealership, Carlot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's for uh, 25 years. My other brother that uh, he actually passed away, but he had before he passed away a furniture store and a pawn shop. So it's all in the family. Yes. And these, <laughs> by the way, these guys live in Ohio. I mean, they don't just, they don't live around me. You know, we're spread out because when I came down here, there nobody else followed me, but my parents. So. Right. Exactly. <laughs> not to Kentucky. They're like, nah, not. <laughs> and then, uh, so I, the first business that I ever started, uh, I actually went into with my dad. We were partners mm-hmm. and it was just a little mom and pop store. Uh, something I wanted to try. And actually that store grew uh, and became very successful. And it was about, we were about 10, almost 12 years in. And we were very successful. But my accountant at that time, she's like, you know, you're never going to be able to retire. Like, what are you talking about? She's like, you've never, she goes, you have this education. She goes, but you've never paid in taxes or anything as far as working for someone else. And I go, well, yeah, but I do this. You know, I pay in the sales tax and what have you. It's like, I'm just saying, you know, Kentucky guy, you better wake up. <laughs> so, right then, you know, because I'm just now starting a family as well at that mm-hmm. time. And that's why we we're actually having that conversation. I'm like, okay. And I went to the old man and I said, you know, I said, are you going to stick with this or retire? And he goes, I'm going to retire. So then we're <laughs> shut. So I went to work for the private sector mm-hmm. and I did for Oh, geez, probably, probably 10 years. I was with the Xerox, uh, started out as an agent for them and then ended up running two call centers for them. Uh, by the time I left, mm-hmm. I was one of the biggest, uh, general managers, uh, in the district. So I just couldn't get rid of that itch though. The whole time, <laughs> the whole time I was working for them on the weekends, I remember I would leave work on Friday hop in my truck with a trailer hitched to it and drive halfway around the state to go to a flea market to sell after working 50 hours that week. <laughs> oh, wow. Glutton for punishment. <laughs> yeah. it, just, it was in my blood. I, yep. I just, uh, it's, when it came, when it comes to buying something at this price and then turning a profit on it, I, I just, it always amazed me. and It always inspired me. Right. I wanted more. And, I did that. I was doing eBay before eBay was cool. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much my story. And I haven't changed very much. Still doing all that stuff as well. <laughs> no longer with the private sector though. Right. So what made you want to do podcasts? Cause podcasts are different. What made you say, you know what? I think I want to do a podcast. <laughs> well, uh, so the first podcast, the, uh, the current news podcast came about, I started it a little over a year ago. And basically, I had all this information, and I was listening to uh, 
uh, Rush Limbaugh, mm-hmm. uh, older stuff. And it devastated me when he passed away because he was, he was a hero of mine. I listened to him all the time. Yeah, I did too. And on one of his episodes, he said, well, you know, uh, everybody's got a voice and everybody's got a story. And that just struck me. And I was like, you know, I, I, and I was mad. I'm just mm-hmm. going to be honest. I was mad the way things looked. Right. And that's why I started. I was like, somebody, why aren't people talking about this? Or why are they so afraid to just speak their mind? Right. Speak their mind. So that's originally why I started that podcast. That podcast has evolved a lot, though. A lot. Because now we do, it's not just about the news anymore. We have a lot of different interviews on there. Uh, I've had authors, mediums, uh, holistic healers, people from all over the world on there, uh, professional athletes. Uh-huh. And, I, and I do this because I wanted a different audience. Mm-hmm. You know, who politics the news all the time, right? right. <laughs> so right. <laughs> I wanted a different audience and I wanted to expand. And it was a great way of getting to me to know different people. There was a lot of things that I had never experienced. And you're right, podcasting game. It's completely different. And when I'd done it, I just done it for a place for me to vent. That's mm-hmm. all it was. Right. I had no idea that it was going to grow and actually make money one day. None whatsoever. Furthest thing from my mind. It was, <laughs> it was a release is all it was. I just wanted to do something. I wanted to do, I wanted to, a place to vent, but something that wouldn't take a whole lot of my time. Right. Because very, a very precious commodity. And once I learned how to, I think the first six shows, I didn't edit anything. Like I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) I still don't edit. I let other people do it. (laughs) I've got a a nephew. He listens to my show and uh, he called me the other day. He goes, you know, by accident today, he goes, when I got in the truck, he goes, I was listening to one of your older shows, like one of your first ones. He goes, man, he goes, you've improved a lot. (laughs) Well, you know, I before I started podcasting, I took a course from John Lee Dumas, and he is one of the top podcasters, makes a ton of money. He's been doing it since 2011 or 2012. And so that's how I started. I I kind of listened to everything. He gave me forms. This is how you try and get guests. And this is what you do. So that was very, very helpful. But even he says at some point, you have to just jump in and start. You'll never be perfect. You can't wait to be perfect. Just jump in and get going. And one day you'll look back and go, oh, my God, that was horrible. But you can't get better until you start. Right. Right. I listen to my old stuff all the time and critique it all the time. A lot of people say they can't listen to themselves. Oh, I do. I make I don't have a lot of time right now, so I don't always because, again, I'm this was kind of a transition thing for me. I was doing real estate full time. I'm kind of doing it more part time right now. And then in January or February, my house will go up for sale. I'll sell it and I'm moving to Florida. So when I get to Florida, my podcast will be my full time thing. I won't be doing real estate at all anymore. I'll just do the podcast. So I knew that I had to start it ahead of time, though, to kind of learn the ropes and get comfortable. And so now once I get to Florida and I set up my little podcasting room, it'll be great. It'll be great. I can't wait. Yeah. Panama City is my end game. Is it? Is it? 
Uh, we I, we've been there on vacation several times. We love it, mm-hmm. but that my end game is to believe it or not is <laughs> is to have this RV, and you can thank my wife for this idea. <laughs> the trailer behind it, and for us to travel the world selling at different festivals and flea markets. <laughs> That's excellent. You know what? I've interviewed a couple of people that lived in the your there are they and they just travel from state to state. They go to po- national parks. They're going everywhere and they live in their RV and they love it. Now, one of the women was doing it before COVID. Then when COVID hit, she went to stay with her daughter because she didn't want to be traveling around during COVID. But some people continue. They just travel because, you know, when you're in an RV park, you can sit outside and talk to people. You're not in such close contact. You're not maybe indoors, but she decided not to. But more and more Americans are getting that RV and hitting the road for retirement. And they're meeting wonderful people. Some of them, you know, are doing other odd jobs like you know, they could even do a podcast on the road or they could do blogging or whatever. But, you know, they've got their computer with them and off they go. So you're working and you're enjoying life at the same time. Yeah, that's her. That's her. I just listen to what she says. That's right. her plan. So how many years down the road is that? A year, two years? Oh, no. Uh, I mean, I, I just put my kid in college. So I've got oh, a 20. 20- so it's got to be after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to. I mean, she's still at home. There's. Right, right. Can't leave yet. Mine are all grown out of the house. And, you know, we put four kids through college, but, you know, they're all older. So they're out on their own. They have been for years. So now I can do whatever I want, which is great. I'm I'm in a really big house now and I'm tired of taking care of it. I want out. So I'm going to move to a little rancher in Florida and then I'll be able to do a lot more things. So it'll be fun. What, what part of Florida are you looking at? I'm looking at the villages, which is a 55 plus community. Uh-huh. Lots to do. They have so much to do down there. Lots of live music every night. There's just so, lots of swimming pools. I love to swim. I love to walk. So they've got rec centers where they do exercises and stuff. So I can't wait. I'll be a lot more involved with keeping physically fit when I get to Florida than I am up here. Because right now I'm in Pennsylvania. Um, I'm like 45 minutes outside of Philadelphia where I grew up. And, uh, you know, when it gets cold in the winter, you don't always feel like walking. I do, but not every day. And when it snows, I don't go out. Or when it's icy, I don't go out. Um, You know, I don't want to take a chance of slipping and falling and breaking something. So I'd rather just stay put. But when I'm in Florida, it'll be the weather will be great. I'll be out a lot. Yeah, my co-host is uh, in Philadelphia on uh, the Against the Matt Wrestling Podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's in Philadelphia. And I actually... Have you heard of Erie, PA? Yes. Yes. So uh, when I talk about Ohio, where I grew up, it's a little town called Eshtabila, and that's not far at all from Erie, PA. We've been there several times. Oh, my daughter had a good friend who lived in Erie, so she used to go visit her a lot. It's pretty cold in the winter in Erie. I'm like, (laughs) snowy and icy and cold. (laughs) Erie effect. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they've already had their snow. And what's today? December 15th, I think. So um, they're already getting snow. So so tell us a little bit about some of the books you've written. So, you know, because you're an author, too. So you're, you've done some such wide range of, thi- uh, of things. So tell us a little bit about how did you become an author? Was that easy to do? Give us an idea. So uh, the first book I wrote, and this is this is 
I'm a, I'm a very new author. Uh, and I got the idea, like I told you, I expanded the podcast mm-hmm. and I had writers and authors, uh, that I interviewed on the podcast and got to pick their brain. And I was like, man, that's so interesting. And so I started doing research. I'm a big researcher and everything I do. And one of my say, sayings that I say on every show is don't believe anything I say or anyone else do your own research. So yep. That's what I did. Yep. Exactly. And, and I tell you, it just, I don't know, something struck me. I've always been very good, at least in my mind, <laughs> at, <laughs> at writing papers and so forth. I remember when my wife was in college, I would do her papers for her because she was just horrible at it. <laughs> and so basically, the first book I wrote was uh, America, The Land of the Sleeping. It's a nonfiction book, and it's basically, it's, a, it's about politics and the certain shape that we're in. The reason why I wrote that book is because I could enter screenshots and proof of things that I was saying. And I had a lot of people, I just think that a lot of people need some hope right now. They do. And, yep. and that's probably 90% of why I wrote it. Because not everybody listens, even though I'd like to think everybody listens to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. They don't. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know, some way to get the hope out there. Mm-hmm. The second book I wrote, Basically, and I just got it published, uh, it's uh, My Daughter's Lies. It's a fiction book. It's the start of a series. Oh, a series of how many, do you think? uh, Well, I've got number two almost done, the second one. Probably looking around. I'm hoping from eight to ten. Oh, that's a big series. Good. Yeah, that's the normal number that they say project for in your first series. Oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> we'll yeah, see. yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, like I said, uh, I do a lot of research, so I try to, you know, how many pages should it be, how many words, blah, blah, blah. The first book I wrote, writing the book was easy because I just used my notes. I had a lot of notes for the show, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of, I said, you know, things that I could add to it as far as screenshots. The writing part was very simple, and the writing part wasn't hard on the fiction book either. The hard part <laughs> that I had no idea was the editing. Oh, my Lord. Yes. That, that was tough. Yep. And I would get it one way, and then come this publisher would say, nah, that might work on Amazon, but it's not going to work here, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, and self-publishing is great and horrible. Yep. It's with you. It, it's a it lot of be- work. It's a lot of work. It is. And it's, and you know, people say, well, people do it because it's free. It's not free. No. Okay. Not cost you. You may not have to pay them like you do the big guys, uh, the, the top three publishing houses. Right. However, your time and effort to get everything like they want is crazy. Right. Book, I kind of took a shortcut, right? And the ebook turned out perfect. It had a great cover and everything. Actually, for those that are actually watching, I, I'm almost embarrassed to show this. So the first book, after I took some shortcuts and it was done, come to find out that all the editing that was this company was supposed to do for me, they didn't do. So this book Ooh, comes out. Ouch. Yeah, this book comes out. First thing you'll notice is there's no cover. Yeah. Oh my gosh. 
How could you uh, ha- not have a cover? That's ridiculous. Oh my God. Right. And I had a cover. Right. A beautiful. Uh, uh, and then they're telling me, well, if you want the uh, cover that you submitted, you'll have to resubmit it along with all the tra- uh, manuscripts. I'm like, well, that took six and a half hours last time I done that. Right. Like, yeah, it'll probably longer this time. I said, just go, just go with it. Right. <laughs> I was aggravated. So also when you first open this book, so embarrassing, uh, <laughs> there's punctuation mistakes. Uh-huh. There's all anything you would, you can think of, but I, I rode with it and believe it or not, people were still buying it. I actually, uh, wrote this little article, uh, for, uh, smash word mm-hmm. is one of the, uh, apologizing, <laughs> You know, the ebook is perfect. It's perfect. Uh-huh. You can't use the same format on an ebook for paperback or hardback. Isn't that crazy that you can't? Ugh. So, and then the second book, uh, I learned from my mistake. I got an actual, you know, the right people in the right place, paid a little extra money, right. did the right thing. And thankfully, you know, this, this one here actually has a decent cover on the hard copy and all of them. So they all match. Yeah, that does. I like that. Yep. Actual cover. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, the editing part I thought was, and dealing with the publishing companies uh, were the the biggest challenges I've faced so far. Right. It took, uh, to write the first book, it took probably about six months to put everything like I wanted it. The second book, the second book took a little bit longer because I went through, I I wanted it, I I didn't want anything, you know, this is going to be a series. I didn't want anything to look out of place. Right. I wanted situation and everything yep. to look right. So, so that's basically why the fan, the uh, fiction book, basically uh, one of my daughter's friends, uh, her mom went through a series of years where she had a drug addiction problem. And I was like, man, you know, not a, a lot of people are afraid to talk about this stuff. I wonder how a book would do. So I just, out of my mind, created this character. And uh, so the book, uh, my daughter's lies and it's on Amazon. You can find it on, on uh, Barnes and Noble all mm-hmm. over the place. Okay. That book is about a young lady. Very, very, well, she's just a kid in the beginning. An incident happens. It changes her. And this is somebody who is going to Harvard law school. Mm. He was on her and in her mind. Right. And she had the grades to do it. An incident happens out of nowhere completely changes the course of her entire life. Hmm. She becomes addicted for over 35 years to meth. Oh, wow. And nobody knows, but just a couple of her closest friends that are also addicted to this or sell to her. Her husband, her daughter, her mom, her dad, her aunt. None of them knew either? That's pretty amazing. That she no. could hide it that well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they knew that, uh, and I won't give the book away, but they knew that she had a problem when she was younger mm-hmm. uh, with with uh, pain pills. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just, it's a pandemic. And it's really, I think I did a lot of research on this book to make sure I put the right stuff in there. Even though it's fiction, people who, because there's a lot of people having problems. You know, drugs and alcohol, that's a disease. 
It is. There's a ton of them. I knew people growing up, you know, mothers of some of my friends, uh, kids. And yeah, it's much bigger than we think. It really is. Especially in the U.S. I couldn't believe it when I was doing research uh, for this book. So I wanted to get everything spot on Mm -hmm. with, you know, with, you know, these. I don't know any of these people. I don't know where I got some of these characters from. (laughs) (laughs) So the, second, so the second book in the series is called My Sister's Conscience. And it picks up in the uh, My Daughter's Lies, the uh, last part of the book. I've, I include the first chapter of the second book in the series. And basically, she has a friend in this book, My Daughter's Lies, and it's her friend's side of the story. Starts out when she was young and what have you. She's also a drug addict. Mm. However, things are just a little bit different. I'll just leave it there, but <laughs> a little You're bit have to get the books and read them, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. <laughs> that's like, that's not something I want to do, write fiction or anything like that. But I do interview a lot of authors. So I've interviewed quite a few people that once they got, re- they retired from their regular job, they said, I want to write, I'm going to write some books. And some of them write fiction, some of them write nonfiction, but it's very interesting. And hey, it's better than sitting on the couch, right? You got to eat. Life's too short to sit on the couch. Right. You've got to do something. Even if it, even if you don't need, like, if you're, you're financially set, mm-hmm. right? Right. And a lot of people our age, you know, the boomers, as you call them, they're financially set. And that's great. But what good is that if you're just going to sit there and watch TV? Yeah. Get out yeah. and there, there's a whole world out there. We just came through a worldwide planned, uh, pandemic. Sorry, I'm used to saying pandemic. Uh, <laughs> pandemic. We're away from that now. So let's enjoy our freedom yes. as God gave us. Let's get out there and do something. And there's so many things people can do to make a difference. So many older people's lives, you know, like this time of year, do something. You know, go out to these soup kitchens. There, there's so much a person can do. And I promise you, even if it's the littlest thing, it's going to make your life and especially that week, a whole, whole lot better. Absolutely. Lot. You feel better about yourself. You're helping people. They feel better. I've interviewed quite a few people that also volunteer. One woman is already uh, collecting uh, little gifts for nursing homes. And then she gets people that will help her put these little bags together. She's already taking them to nursing homes now, and she'll continue up until the holidays. I have another woman I interviewed who became involved with our township. They had a garden that they were putting together. So she was uh, in charge of that. And she actually, she was a a retired teacher, didn't need the money, but wanted to do something. She actually went back to college and became a master gardener because she became so enthralled about what she was doing and she loved it. And she found that she met so many new and interesting people, young and old. So people of all ages, they became her best friends. And she said, she's just so happy she started doing this. So find something you're passionate about and volunteer if you don't need the money. If you need the money, maybe find a way to make money with your passion. But there's something out there for everyone. If you sit on the couch, you won't live to be 90 or 100 like everyone else. You need to be doing something. So just watching TV and sitting around is not it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. There's a gentleman named Charles I interviewed a couple weeks ago on my podcast. And he wrote a book about how 
businesses in his little community completely changed during the pandemic. And basically, I thought it was so cool. These restaurants turned into like small grocery stores mm-hmm. instead of throwing this stuff away. So many, and this is a, he's an IT guy. So for him to notice that himself and then sit down and write a book about it, I thought it was phenomenal. And he's right. Uh, one of his sayings is, you know, if I'm not going to do it, who's going to do it for me? That's Nobody. right. That's right. And you can learn to do anything. You can learn to write a book. You just do your research. Like you said, there's so much help online. Maybe you pay a little bit money to someone to help you a little bit. Um, but there's so much out there that there's really no excuse if that's really what you want to do. And so everybody's you, got a story. Yeah. So do you have one last thing you want to um, share with our, our boomer nation, something else that we might not have already talked about? Well, uh, you're probably wondering why I host a wrestling show as well. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The wrestling show, basically, uh, a while back, I had a YouTube channel called The Wrestling Professor. I would just get on there and talk about wrestling, pro wrestling. I've never was a wrestler or anything like that. However, some of the greatest memories growing up were beside my mom who loved professional wrestling. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Usually it's the men that love it. So the fact that she was the one that loved it is funny. I love that. Hated it. He hates it now. (laughs) He's like, he's like, I don't know how you watch that. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Oh my gosh. But she got me into it. And uh, so I've always enjoyed it. However, I did YouTube, uh, YouTube and I, we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things. So I gave up the channel a while back, started the podcast. And on the uh, Red Pill podcast, my buddies are like, man, you ought to talk about wrestling. I'm like, this is a news show. I'm not going to talk about wrestling. <laughs> once, once a year, the uh, one of the promotions, they put on something called WrestleMania. It's once a year. So I said, you know what? This one time, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to go over the results and my predictions from that show on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Why not? That was one of the best episodes that went over and got the most downloads I'd How ever about seen. That? Yeah, you never know, do you? <laughs> huh. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to change this podcast into a wrestling podcast. Right. I go, even because wrestling was kind of, it still is, it's kind of like my outlet. You mm-hmm. know, just it's fun to talk about. So I started the podcast. Now, I didn't think this podcast would last a month, just to be honest <laughs> with you. But I have a co-host now. His name's Donnie Cage out of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And it's blown up. It's crazy. There, we, that, we People actually, love those niches. They really do. Like there's people out there looking for that information and they can't get it anywhere else. So it's great. And we have, uh, we have merch now that we sell. It, it's crazy. Oh, it really is. Great. I mean, it, it's, don't get me wrong. The Red Pill is still the stronger podcast. Right. But a year from now, I won't promise you that that'll stay the same. And both both of these were just for fun. How about that? Yeah. So um, how about that? And, you know, I shared a little bit beforehand that my mother and father used to wrestle when I was young. That was kind of like I'm one of 11 kids. So, you know, they couldn't go out and do stuff. They had to stay home there. No one wants to babysit for 11 kids. And we were very close in age from uh, the oldest was 10 and a half when the baby was born. So boom, boom, boom. So they, my father loved wrestling. He got my mother into it. They would wrestle and they loved it. It was an outlet for them. So 
that's very unusual for the 50s and 60s, but that's what they did. Yeah, that reminds me of my brother and his wife when they first got married. They used to like pull a mattress out in the middle of the floor and go away. <laughs> right. <laughs> And we were talking a little bit about I have friends with their kids in school, really young. They start them out really young wrestling. But I think it's really good. It's a sport that they can learn a lot from. Absolutely. Well, it develops young men mm-hmm. into actually, you know, the only other thing that I can compare amateur wrestling to as far as the skill set. And this is not just wrestling. It's football, basketball. Uh, if you have the right coach and the right structure. Any of them can be positive. Right. The only thing I can compare these sports to is maybe the military Mm. because it teaches how to respect your elders, Mm -hmm. respect, and, you know, to have pride in something and do it as a team. Right. And I'm all for any type of sports as long as it's structured right uh, within high school. You know, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. (laughs) And this, this, person was they they were doing it in grade school and and their son had vision problems but you can wrestle with vision problems because it's more what your body feels and you can know what they're doing and you're moving so you don't need your vision for it so it was the best thing for this kid the best i, I tried uh, amateur wrestling in high school and i hated it because <laughs> uh i grew up in pro wrestling so uh-huh. i was like where's you know, how am I going to jump off a top rope if there is no rope? You know, what's this? Why is this guy pushing my in the mat in the mat? I never seen this before. Right. How come I can't just get a, you know, so I was totally, so ignorant. totally different. <laughs> well, this has been so much fun. I've enjoyed talking to you and we're, you know, we're laughing, which is important. You got to laugh. You have to have fun. We need those outlets. There aren't enough anymore. So I really enjoyed having you on Kick-Ass Boomers and I enjoyed hearing all your stories. And I think my audience will too. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Really do. It's been an honor. Yeah. It's been great having you and we'll have to do it again in the future. Absolutely. We'll get you on one of the shows on my end as well. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. I would love that. That would be great. Thank you so much. The Kentucky guy. (laughs) Talk to you later. Bye. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick-Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest, along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com. And don't forget to join our Kick-Ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old. Let's face it, everybody loves to make podcasts and vodcasts, but nobody wants to edit them. At Premier Podcast Productions, we professionally edit and distribute podcasts and vodcasts for companies around the world. Contact us at premierpodcastpros at gmail.com.